Welcome everyone to the Operation Automation Podcast by Omron, where we are talking all things factory automation. My name is Kenny Heidel, and I am a channel sales manager focusing on channel engagement. I've been with Omron for four years and have 15 years of combined factory and industrial automation experience. Sitting here with me is Carrie Lee. Hi everyone, I'm Carrie Lee. I'm the America's sales manager for early career development. I've been with Omron for three and a half years and have about 17 years of experience in automation. Carrie and I are neighbors at our Omron office and would often have conversations at the coffee machine or in the hallways where we would talk about new technologies and trends and, of course, the Chicago White Sox. We hope to recreate that time here in our podcast and share it with our listeners so you can learn along with us. So whether you're pouring yourself your first or your fifth coffee of the day, driving to your first appointment, or just walking the dog, we hope to help you start your day right with a little bit of fun and hopefully you learn something new too. Well, Carrie... We are we are trying something new here, but we're going to do a quick quick snapshot recap of of what you're going to hear on this fantastic BPI podcast that we have going. Besides my beautiful singing, I was going to say I I said it in the episode and I'll say it again. It's probably your best one yet. So um, practice is paying off. <laughs> keep it up. Yeah. Uh, so other than your beautiful singing, what would you say was your uh, your key takeaway? One one sentence to to describe it. You know, you, you hit on it, and I think you'll hear it in the podcast a lot, is is focusing on people, not focusing on process, focusing on people, and how that can really help you as an organization improve. That was my key takeaway. What about you? Yeah, absolutely, that one. And then um, to have something different, I think people will be surprised to see how uh, dynamic and vibrant uh business process improvement and concepts of lean are. I know it was surprising for me just starting to do more research on this, that this isn't just writing a bunch of you know, procedural documents. There's a real, it's a really cool way to grow as a person and grow as an individual and continuous learning and knowledge. So beyond people, I think learning and knowledge. Awesome, awesome. Well, buckle up and hope you enjoy. Kenny, I'm ready for your sultry sounds for this week. What's our song? Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I had to look those lyrics up. I had to I had to remember what they were. But I'm sure we can all we all know it, right? I think that's your best singing we've had. I really gotta say. I don't know if the hot tea and honey before the podcast is working, but you sound great today. I've been doing my exercises, so <laughs> All right, so if people haven't figured out yet, the topic for our episode today is lean or business process improvement. So pretty excited. We've got some really uh, illustrious guests. We have uh, Christian Platt and Mike Pop here today. So uh, Mike, you want to introduce yourself for our, our listeners? Sure. I'm uh, the Senior Director of Quality and Business Process Improvement. Um, Headquartered out in Hoffman Estates, OEI, uh, responsible for overall OAA. Nice to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. And my name is Christian Plott. I am one of the master black belts reporting into Michael. And I also work for OAA, but I do all of the stuff Mike doesn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> the truth. <laughs> all the fun stuff. Yeah. Yes, I can do all the fun stuff for sure. All the opportunities, right? All the opportunities. That's right. That's right opportunities. Okay, so we always start our podcast off with the hardest questions. So Christian, what is your go-to takeout food order? 
Man, the Chipotle burrito bowl is where it's at. I don't. I like the little bit of the carbs you get with the rice, but <laughs> I can't go with the full tortilla. Nice. What uh, what protein are you getting? Barbacoa. I don't even know there's other stuff out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and do you get guacamole? I feel like that's the most of course. Of course. They don't even ask if they want to charge me anymore. So you know, they just know. Like, give him the huge. Give yep. him the usual. Give him the huge. He's got that master mm-hmm. black belt money. Extra, yeah. extra <laughs> avocado. Extra <laughs> avocado, that's right. Yeah. How about you, mm-hmm. Mike? I got to go with pizza. Ooh. I, I love pizza. So I'm going to go out. It's going to be for pizza. So that's my now, favorite. Are we going deep dish or are we going thin crust? Or are we? I got to go with the thin crust. Thin crust all the way. Too many carbs. I won't be able to move after eating a whole pizza. So I got to go with the thin crust so I can eat the whole pizza. <laughs> we can tell Ted to insert applause. Yeah. <laughs> Is it there's a common theme of no carbs with the lean team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you up on that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, second second question. Uh, if you have to get a lot of work done, what is your favorite music to put on to do it? I've been really into Chris Stapleton. Ah. So I've been I've been having his Traveler album on repeat. It's a nice. good album. Mhm. Might not believe this, but I'm an old school. I got to go with rock. I, I, I'm going to play '80s rock. Ooh. All right. Like so, hair, like hair metal, or are we going uh, like? You, you, we got to go with Def Leppard, ACDC, ah. <laughs> that kind of music. So. I like it. Very nice. Okay, and then final question, Mike. What is your favorite hobby? Ooh, that's a tough one. Christian probably knows it, but. I have a hobby of I like to trade options in the stock market. I always tell Christian when you when I get good at it, you won't see me anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you how it's going. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Probably One of the rare hobby. hobbies that make money instead yeah. of <laughs> yes. Well, potential to make money. Yeah. I don't know. We still see Mike. Yeah. It's I don't exactly know how much right, money so. he's made. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps me busy. How about you, Christian? I don't know if it's so much of of a hobby, but I'm a big do-it-yourselfer. My wife has a laundry list of things she wants me to do, so I'm always involved in some kind of home improvement project. Nice. Nice. Doing pocket doors and, and stuff like that? or Yeah, maybe? right now it's the epoxying the garage floor, so... Ooh. Yeah, big one. Well, we will have to talk after this, because I feel like I need a new epoxy put down on my garage floor. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about it. Just me up. <laughs> So, guys, for our listeners, if you don't mind, uh, Mike, we can start with you. If you could give a little bit of your background, you know, you said your title, uh, but kind of what your background and experience is, is in for our listeners. Sure. So I've been with Omron for a little over two years now. Um, prior to being with Omron, I was in the consulting field for 25 years in the quality arena. So a lot of experience with ISO 9001, Lean Six Sigma, business process improvement, lots of different industries from healthcare to higher education universities to banks, manufacturing plants, a lot of different industries, aerospace, automotive, all kinds of fun stuff. So anything having to do with quality, I've probably been in it, part of it at some time. So uh, a lot of experience in the quality field and consulting and helping others improve products and processes and organizations as a whole. And so I came to Omar as a consultant for about 18 months before 
um, when BPI was launched, they said, we're starting up a new a new department. Would you be interested in leading it? And I always said, if I found a company who was doing it for the right reasons with a good leadership team who was doing it all for the right reasons, I would consider leaving the consulting field and going back to the corporate world. And mm-hmm. here I am. That was four years ago. Here I am at, at Omron and loving every minute of it. So it's uh, been a good switch for me. Nice. Enjoying it. Nice. Huge background and experience. What about you, Christian? Not so deep in the experience realm in terms of uh, uh, 25 years, right? But uh, before coming to Omer, I've been here for almost two years. I worked in pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. So I was with the pharma company, a contract manufacturer for about eight years, during which time I really got into lean in more detail, right? Well, getting your green belt and then moving on to black belt. Mike actually trained me to be a black belt, kind of why I came to Omron as well to mm-hmm. learn at the feet of the master type of situation. <laughs> um, but before that, I was working in food, actually. I made bacon for Hormel Foods. Oh. So I literally brought home the bacon at that <laughs> point. Uh, but ba- basically, my whole career, except for the last four years or so, have been heavily involved in operations and operations management. Nice. And that joke never gets old. <laughs> no, I can tell it all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, so how about to kind of kick off our discussion, can you guys give our readers an overview of Lean and BPI? I'll take that one. Um, there's, there's, it's, how much time do we have? It's, the overview of Lean BPI could take you know minutes or it could take a long time, but I'll just give you a quick overview. A lot of people will tell you when we talk about Lean, it's the purposes to identify waste and eliminate waste in, in work processes. And another portion of that is to also understand the variation and how to reduce variation. And there's lots of tools of BPI and lean people learn and experience and become familiar with. But at the end of the day, I like to tell people it's really about developing your employees to be able to solve their own problems, to identify what the waste or variation is, understand the tools they have at their disposal to help them to reduce, eliminate that waste variation and make their job easier and make so if we have 200 people in an organization all able with those skill sets and abilities to do that the organization starts to improve as a whole overall so it's really about developing people at the end of the day and i'll let christian throw in his two cents if he wants to add to that as well yeah you really hit on it the development of people is i think is the number one goal of you know bpi or lean once you can give someone the knowledge of how to solve a problem by themselves or how to get the right resources to solve said problem. You're really unlocking a, a whole wealth of talent that you may not have even known that you had before in your organization. So really, you know, guys like me, I, I should be working myself out of the job because I'm training everyone else to be the next to me, or, but really in their own realm so they can continuously improve in their own daily lives. So one way of thinking of that is if we have a foundation of a pyramid, we start at the the foundation with the tools of BPI. People learn the tools. We utilize those tools in everyday performance processes to create systems to serve our customers, to help people solve problems. And then as people get better and better at that, the top tier is to create a culture of lean thinking or BPI thinking. And that's really the, the, the gist of BPI is those three levels. And there's a lot of people out there who are great at level one, very few at level two, and there's hardly any that know level three very well, personal mm-hmm. opinion. 
I've been studying these tools for 30 plus years and I still feel like a beginner many days because there's so much to learn and understand. So, mm -hmm. And I would say it even goes beyond, you know, you may think of, of lean or, or BPI in just straight up hands-on manufacturing, right? But it goes well beyond that. And I think that's how it kind of plays nicely within, within our organization, right? Yeah, I, I've, I've spent time utilizing these tools in hospitals, clinics, labs, banks, universities, and, and believe it or not, I raised my kids using lean principles. So Christian knows the story of my son and, and his room cleanliness in 5S to help him understand how to clean his room properly. So there's <laughs> a whole generation of kids growing up on, on 5S, how to clean the rooms from the training I used to do. So it applies everywhere at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, and, um, and what we've seen too, you know, automation, us being an automation supplier and BPI have a lot of parallel goals, right? Improving efficiency of a plant, either through the use of technology or, or improving processes on how to manufacture. But at the end of the day, most successful companies use a combination of the two. It's not just a focus on how do you make that, that product and how do you improve the process of making that product, but it's, it's automating it along with BPI. Uh, can you guys, and, and Christian, we'll start with you. Can you share some examples of where uh, manufacturers that you've seen have leveraged automation technologies in combination with BPI to, to be successful? I can, but I kind of want to change your question a little bit. So pardon me <laughs> okay. for being so bold. But I think the really good examples that you get are when organizations automate without BPI. So I might steal Mike's thunder. He likes to say, if you automate a crap, you're just going to get crap faster. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. So if you are not putting BPI up front, because BPI takes time, let's be honest. It takes time and it takes energy um, and money, essentially, which is time, so that you can do it right the first time. Uh, working in, in the pharmaceutical world, for instance, we implemented, my company implemented a high-speed bottling line. Essentially, they had this very manual process of how to label these bottles that were about four inches tall around cylindrical bottles and then package them in these little tiny four-inch boxes that they had to manually construct, put them in a, a larger shipper. Their goal was to automate that process. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't take into account once they automated this big machine was the imperfections in our labeling system and our label in, in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And how cameras will see those imperfections and reject those and what we can do to, to remedy that. Additionally, the defects in the type of cardboard that we were using or the, the sturdiness of it. So ultimately what, what it came down to is we had this manually manual packaging line that had around seven employees. They automated mm -hmm. it and had around 12 employees <laughs> because of these defects. They didn't really take the time to understand were there and really to 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 do the the work so they were left with a not so automated line not so high speed really it was more of a slow line mm -hmm. um, with this big machine in the middle so that was actually my black belt project in which we reduced the number of people back to standard so we didn't gain any headcount mm -hmm. from the old process but now we were level um, and we were, were producing more more efficiently in terms of the, the throughput because it was a quicker machine. Mm -hmm. So I think that th this tale really tells you, you really need to understand your current situation of any kind of you know, manufacturing line or, 
automation that you want to put in? What are the defects that you're seeing? What is the processes that you have laid out already? If you don't have it, you need to lay those out. Mm -hmm. If you don't know those defects, you need to find them so that you can remove them and thus automate a more streamlined, efficient process first. Makes sense. Kind of shines a spotlight on where your <laughs> where your big deficiencies are, right? Yeah. Christian used a specific word I want to talk a little bit more about, and that's the word standard. And when we talk about some of our automation technology, I'll take some of our, our vision systems. You know, when they're being utilized in a manufacturing operation, they need a standard to compare to. Are we actually meeting the standard? And that's a very good first question from a BPI standpoint. When any process we want to improve, what is the standard we're trying to achieve? Or is this process effective? Another way of saying this, are we meeting the customer's expectations? And once we understand that, next question is, can we do it repeatedly? Can I do it today, tomorrow, next week, next month? Once I have those two questions answered, that's where Christian's coming from. We got some stability. Now we can start talking about efficiency. Can I reduce time, personnel, money, resources needed to successfully complete this process? And once we achieve that, now can we reproduce this elsewhere? So I can have, doesn't matter if Christian does it, Kenny does it, or Carrie does it, we get consistent results across the board. So a lot to think about when we talk about the, the automation of processes and how we can use that with BPI. They really do do hand in glove, in my opinion, go together mm -hmm. very well. And I like how that plays together too, where you're you're basically, you know, like people might just be like, I oh, just automate that line, just automate it, yeah. right? That'll make it go faster. Yeah. Yeah, you'll get, you'll get the same stuff faster for sure, but it, mm -hmm. it may cost you more in headcount, you know, like my example showed. Mm -hmm. So I, I see Omron as a solution provider. We should be providing that information to our customers saying, yeah, we can help you automate this, but have you considered this, this, and this? It's going to be results of that. We are truly solution providers, and I want to expand upon that going forward for sure because mm -hmm. it's definitely a need <laughs> in lots of different industries. Yeah, um, and just to kind of piggyback off of that, when um, when I used to be the product manager for our AI controllers, we talked a lot about when you want to implement our machine learning, right, they were kind of doing anomaly detection. It went really well hand-in-hand -hand with Lean, right? So if you didn't understand your process, you didn't really know what to look for. And so then we'd have customers all excited, yeah, I'm going to buy AI, I'll spend all this money. And it's like, well, let's take a step back to... To Mike's point, um, let's be the right solution provider and help you understand how to use this tool um, along with those methodologies with Lean so that we can be as effective as yeah. possible. I like to say it's effective, repeatable, efficient, reproducible. And Christian will tell you, I call that ER squared, ER, <laughs> ER. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Very cool. Um, okay, so A3 projects, that's something we do quite a bit here. I've been on a couple with uh, with you guys, um, and I never really stopped to ask why it's called A3, and I actually think it's kind of interesting. So, uh, Christian, can you share with our listeners what an A3 project is and where it gets the name? So we'll start with where it gets its name. A3 is really just the size of a certain type of paper, that A3 size don't ask me the dimensions, but um, <laughs> ultimately it's a tool. It's a problem solving tool that allows us to systematically work through problems by defining our current state, understanding how this problem affects the organization, um, deciding on a target state, and then working through the causal relationships of this issue, right? And once we have that, we can then move on towards 
the other side of the A3 because it's kind of divided in half to the future state of how do we now get through these causes? How do we implement countermeasures to them so that we can remove them and then proceed on um, with solving this particular problem? So an A3 is just a piece of paper sized uh, template that we use to, to walk us through systematically a, a problem. To add to that a little bit, that comes from the experience of Toyota. Uh, how many of us have had an experience where we're on a part of a team and we were poured out in a 200 page PowerPoint presentation <laughs> that, you know, becomes a, you know, a, goes right in the circular trash can at the end of the day because no one's mm -hmm. going to take the time to read it. But if you can summarize that 200 pages of findings into one single piece of paper, it really takes complex issues and simplifies them so we can explain them to everyone who's involved in the stakeholders. And so another big part of that, Christian used a very important word, it's a systemic way of solving problems, which means it's step by step. Go back to the word standard. We now have a standard of expectations for whether it's a problem in in customer care, whether it's a problem in sales, whether it's a problem in finance, we have a standard step-by-step -step of how we're going to address problems and creates a common language within the organization, which again goes back to creating that culture of how do we improve together? How do we develop people to solve their own problems? And so the other portion of the A3 that often gets overlooked is there's a big difference between responsibility and authority. And when you utilize the A3 properly, the team literally creates the authority to get the problem resolved because they're presenting the facts to leadership in such a way that they, they can't be argued. This is what's happening. This is the pain point. This is the risk. This is how we want to manage the risk. And they actually create the authority through the A3 process. So it's, it's a pretty deep understanding required to fully grasp how important the A3 is as a tool in the BPI world. Uh, can really can really solve lots of complex issues and and see make change very effectively and efficient. Going back to ER squared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that speaks a lot to the the power of the A3 tool. Um, switching gears a little bit, obviously because we are an automation provider. Um, can you give our listeners a little uh, knowledge on what is Gemba and why is it important? Whether it be on the manufacturing floor or you know in in, in the office, right? Gimba literally is a Japanese word. I don't know if your listeners knew that, but it's usually translated to the real place where the truth can be found. And typically when you go to the Gimba, you go see for yourself, ask questions, and show respect. That's really what we're trying to do when we go to the Gimba. We're asking the questions to the people who are actually doing the work, those who have the subject matter expertise to understand the pain points and complexities of the problem and, and give the details. So literally the real place where the truth can be found, if I'm a news reporter for the Weather Channel, I'm reporting on Hurricane Sandy, I'm standing in the middle of the hurricane reporting from the Gemba, the real place. If I'm a homicide detective and I'm investigating a murder scene, I'm standing right next to the body to try and figure out what's going on. That's, that's the Gemba, the real place where the truth can be learned. I love and it, that. It's, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Go ahead Christian. I mean, it's really, it's, it's easy to think about in those terms, but then let's look at something like, oh, you're a podcaster. The, the Gemba is here right now, right? Your, your setup, potentially, depending on your problem. Or if you're a software programmer, right? It's your desk. It's your, 
It's the applications you're using and the processes you use in those applications. So it can be very hard uh, or concrete rather, like in the middle of a Hurricane Sandy or at the murder scene, but it can also be soft using the air quotes, you know, like your, your computer application. Yeah, so it needs to be thought about beyond. And I've honestly, the only way that I've thought about Gemba has been on the manufacturing floor. But I think I think beyond that, I, I also had no idea what Gemba meant. So Mike, thank you for that. I, now I'm like, now I'm like, how do I use this like with my kids? Like, I need to go on the Gemba. I need to well, see. Here, 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 here's a perfect example of the Gemba and my son and cleaning his room I mentioned earlier. So I, I have three three kids all out of the house now, but when they were younger, all three. On Saturday mornings, it was their job to clean their rooms. And my son was just adamant. He he didn't want to do it and fought me tooth and nail all the way. So his definition of a clean room was shove everything into the closet, shut the doors, fit in there, shove everything under the bed. Okay, dad, done. <laughs> no, son, that's not clean. The day I opened up his closet doors and his bowling ball came off his top shelf and went on <laughs> my foot, you know. That's going to the Gimba scene for yourself. Yeah, that's a painful lesson, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. So the Gimbas were the real place where the work is being done. And as Christian said, that could be anywhere. It could be in your podcast studio. It could be in customer care as they're entering an order to see all the different mouse clicks they have to do to get the order entered. The, the Gimbas can be anywhere. And that's it's a really important place because this is where – you're you're getting the knowledge of your current state. All too often in in the businesses that I've been a part of, you see your managers or leaders of the organization making decisions from their conference room because they're having a discussion on the topic. Hopefully they have someone in there that's been to the Gemba and they can report back, but that's not always the case. So going to the Gemba and gaining that current state knowledge, what is actually happening? is super important in order to get to anywhere that you want to go, first of all. And secondly, those people there usually have some great ideas on how to overcome whatever obstacle you're facing. So it's kind of a double-edged sword in that you need you can learn the most about what's going on right there. And secondly, you can probably get ideas on what to improve to get over those obstacles at the Gimba as well. No, great point. Great point. So another thing, kind of jumping back when earlier Mike and Christian, you guys were talking about how lean is really about, you know, uh, elevating people and teaching them a new way to approach things. One thing that I really like uh, that kind of follows that is you can really apply lean to anything. Mike just mentioned his son cleaning his room and things. Um, and one of the concepts around that is that concept of knowledge thresholds. I found that really interesting when I was preparing for this podcast. Can you explain this concept and then uh, like why it's important? And then if you have any more examples of kind of using this type of thinking outside of work? Yeah, I have a perfect example. So the threshold of knowledge is essentially the limits of what you know. <clears throat> so if you understand your current situation and you want to get somewhere else, you don't necessarily know how to get there. So that you are limited by what, what, you, what you know. Let's take an example of going to your first day on the job somewhere. I know I need to get to Omron to drive there from my house to Hoffman Estates. I can look up on a map and how to get there. So my threshold knowledge is that of the map. I don't really know what the road looks like or 
how much traffic they're going to be. And as I take this journey and as I'm going down this road, my threshold of knowledge is increasing the more I learn about that trip. Uh, are these lights really long? Is this something that's not a main road? Are there a lot of potholes on this road? Um, oh, I had to drive through a school zone right when the school's you know, <laughs> starting. So yeah. those are barriers that are preventing me from getting to work on time. So when I discover those through my threshold of knowledge, as it's increasing, I can then experiment. Because really it's about these iterative experiments mm -hmm. as you are progressing to where you want to go, thus increasing your threshold of knowledge so that you can then achieve your goal. Back to the driving to work, I hit a school zone. I didn't know that was in my route. Great. So now I need to experiment with something else so that I can go a different way. Oh, look, I learned that this was actually great. It didn't add that much more time. And I passed a Starbucks on the way. <laughs> bonus, right? Double I overcame bonus. that barrier. And then I reached work at my de my desired time. So it's about continuing to experiment to get over the barriers that come up during your process from your current condition to your future desired future state. And I feel like that desired future state is, is something that, you know, occasionally we kind of put blinders on and we focus on, I have this task, it's more like mm -hmm. whack-a-mole, right? I have this problem, I'm going to get a solution. When I solve it, I'm going to move on to the next mole that pops up. So I think that uh, really the future state mm -hmm. becomes even a bigger emphasis on what you want to look at and how that drives the processes that you, you put in place. It's a really good point, Kenny, because the other piece of what Christian just said is sometimes in our current state, we drive to get to the future state, but that future state may not be the ideal state we actually want to get to. And that's where that understanding of direction of where we're going to begin with is really important. Um, and many times that gets overlooked, especially when it comes to process improvement. Mm -hmm. Well, we're better than we were last month, but is that really the ideal state where we want to be? Yes, we've improved, but is that real? Are we done? How do we know when we're done? It's really a valid question, and that comes back to the ideal state and having a direction of where we want to be as an organization. Some people call it true north. What is our true north we're trying to do? We're trying to improve customer satisfaction. Okay, that sounds good, but what does that actually mean? How are we going to measure mm -hmm. that? How do we know when we get there? It would be like you getting on an airplane, and the, and the pilot says, yeah, we're going west. I don't know where, but we're just heading west. Yeah. You, know, you want a final destination Yeah. Uh, to really feel confident who's flying the plane, right? Yeah, I bought that flight to unknown, right? <laughs> well, and what's interesting too is that you may not reach that ideal state, but it helps guide you to your next desired location. Mm -hmm. So maybe in like manufacturing, my desire, my ideal state is a pull system. But if that's always in the back of my mind, then I can make decisions that will get me there, even though I may not reach it in this project or this next step. That may be a hundred steps down the road mm -hmm. and I'm only on step five, right? So it's having that true north, like Mike said, to have a desired direction or a desired endpoint of whatever project that you're working on so that you can still align with the direction of the organization. Mm -hmm. So going to your point, whack-a-mole, Kenny, gives you a compass, mm -hmm. not to go off on tangents. You want to stay on your true north direction. And that's important in all BPI efforts. Mm -hmm. So uh, full disclosure, we can cut this out if it's a stupid question, but <laughs> <laughs> we, 
my question. <laughs> so when we look at, you know, um, the idea of knowledge thresholds and you don't know what you don't know. So using Christian's example, I didn't know there was a school there. Does, as you go through a company on a grander scale, how often does, you know, True North maybe switch a little as we learn more and we recognize, you know, is True North always going to stay the same or do we learn more and adjust our expectations? Or are we usually pretty good at getting that True North on the first try? I would say I've yet to run into a company and I've been doing this almost 40 years that understands their True North and it doesn't <laughs> change as they learn more about themselves. And I'll use, use some stages of learning. And the first stage for a lot of people is unconsciously incompetent. Uh, an example is my one of my great nephews just went off to preschool this week for the first time. Little guy, right? Mm -hmm. And he, he doesn't probably even know yet that he doesn't know how to write his name. But when he gets there to, to preschool, he's going to find out, <laughs> hey, I don't know how to write my name. <laughs> so he just moved from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. That's the next level. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so with some work from his teacher and practice, he's going to start learning his letters and how to spell his name. And that gets him to the next level of consciously competent. He has to focus and study and be able to write his letters. It's going to take him some time. But if I were to ask one of you right now to write your name, you could be doing 10 other things and you wouldn't be thinking about it because you're unconsciously competent. You've done it so many times. It's in your DNA. You know, you can't do it wrong because it's just a, what you, the path and journey you've been upon. So those levels of learning are really what happens when we're trending to north. We will mm -hmm. have to pivot along the way as mm -hmm. we see as we become consciously competent of what we're really trying to achieve. So I think of it this way, Carrie: if it's 1899 and we're a manufacturer of buggy whips, and we're the best buggy whip manufacturer in the world, what's coming down the pike at us in 1910? Yeah, the Model right. T. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that we're the best in the world, most innovative buggy whip you've ever seen. We're going to be obsolete in 10 years. We right. better mm -hmm. be able to pivot and pivot our true north. The purpose of a buggy whip is to make the vehicle go faster. Maybe we go to carburetors. We start building carburetors because mm -hmm. that has the same function, similar mm -hmm. function we're familiar right. with. It's a good question. It's not a dumb question. It's a very good question. <laughs> and, and to tie this back into our earlier conversation, Mike, you were talking about leaving the consulting world to join an organization that you thought was doing it right. I think it's really important for the top brass of an organization to be thinking of these things. And then as we move into these, not just operational projects of, or I'm fixing this one minuscule process for customer service or sales, but moving into more strategic projects that are really helping us move down that path towards what they believe to be their true North. Mm -hmm. And if it does pivot, great. But they have they they know and they've communicated those directions so that we're aligned. When that pivot happens, it doesn't take forever for that you know the rest of the whip to come around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also anticipate that if you're using lean, that true north, it might shift a little. Whereas other companies, you know, use your buggy whip example. Maybe they went completely. Maybe they didn't think to go to carburetors. They went to I don't know steam-powered, you know, cars. That was a little thing for a while, right? But if you have the the processes and the mindset in place, you can you can feel a little more confident in those pivots, it seems to me at least. So the key point, you have the confidence in your capabilities, your processes, and most importantly, your people to make the pivot. Mm -hmm. If you haven't developed your people, you can't make the pivot. Or you can try, but it won't go very well. 
a big emphasis on, and maybe to your point, Carrie, organizations that do it well, maybe pivot a little bit, but then market dynamics might shift that pivot much more drastically. And, and to Mike's point, I like that, that if you have your people and your processes in place and you trust it, it, it makes you more agile to adapt. A very simple example. In 2008, the automotive industry took a nosedive, right? The mm -hmm. whole economy took a nosedive. And what a lot of people don't realize is what Toyota, how they addressed that, how their leadership team handled that was they didn't lay anybody off. They did go to a four-day work week, and they had everybody training because they knew it was just mm -hmm. a downturn. And when it came back up, they wanted to be ready for it. So they started cross-training, developing their people as opposed to what I still call the big three. We're laying people off left and right. Yeah. And so when the, the, the turn back up, guess what they're trying to do to play catch up with Toyota? Toyota hit the ground running. Yep. And the big three are now trying to hire people, onboard them, train them, whereas total different mindset because they never lost True North. True North includes profit and loss, but it also most importantly includes developing your people through the good times and the bad times. Mm -hmm. And so it's a different mindset. It's what I call A3 thinking, BPI mm -hmm. culture thinking, lean thinking, whatever you want to call it. Everybody understands where we're going as an organization. That takes time to, to address and time to be able to put in the words and communicate. But you need a leadership team that's willing to take that time and do that. And that's why I'm at Omron. That's what I see at Omron. That's Not so perfect, awesome. but a lot better than others out there. And we're getting better every day. That's That's <laughs> the goal. You, you know, if you would have told me before we did this podcast or before we started preparing for this that we were going to spend most of our time on a process podcast talking about people, I don't think I would have <laughs> believed it. But it's probably one of the biggest takeaways, right? That all this mm -hmm. stuff is really about people. It's really cool. Lean gets a bad rap for, <laughs> and I, as a consultant, I can't tell you how many times people, companies will call me up and say, will you come in and tell us how many people we can lay off? <laughs> and I would say, no, thank you. Uh, that's sure. not how I operate. That's not my beliefs. My belief is we optimize the organization to develop people to move on to bigger and better things. And and, and that's what really the spirit of lean is supposed to be. And that gets lost in a lot of the books and seminars, in my opinion. Um, and Christian can tell you I'm pretty hard on him in, the, in his learnings and his reading and his education. Just for that reason, I want him to know the right way is to develop people to solve their own problems, not fix processes so we can lay those people off who are the experts. <laughs> Well, yeah, we talked about going to the Gemba and getting the solutions from those people. If they're worried they're going to lose their job because you're automating this line, they're not going to want to tell you how to solve the problem, right? So it's really about them understanding we have work for you. We can still create value. You have, you have skills that we need as an organization that we can put you doing something else or train you to do something else because it's about just the company removing waste and getting better and people – aren't waste. They have talent mm -hmm. and a value to the organization. They have the process knowledge, the subject matter expertise. And when the big three in 2008 laid off all those people, what walked out the door with those people is all that process knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's the part Toyota understood our mm -hmm. value and is our people. Everybody tries to copy Toyota in the lean world and you can't copy them. It's like making a copy of a copy of a copy because you can't copy the way their people think because they think differently because they've been trained to and educated to. Mm -hmm. 
And that's another key point I think we should understand. There's a difference between education and training, in my mind. Education is why we do certain things. Mm -hmm. Training is how to do certain things. And we need both education Mm -hmm. and training. uh, Another key point of the BPI model. Yeah, great point. Great point. And along, along those lines, one of the major key components of BPI is continuous improvement. You know, Mike, you talked about even the different layers, right? That some organizations are good at layer three. You get up to the next layer, it, it shrinks and shrinks. So it really speaks to, and even with your background and Christian's background, there's a constant environment of how do we improve? How do we continue to optimize and improve? Uh, can you share some key changes or major accomplishments that you've seen here at Omron since you've started? You know, you mentioned you've only been here a couple of years, but, and BPI was really, I would say at that point in its infancy of what we were trying to do. So just kind of talk through some of the things that we've, we've seen and, and benefits off of them here. Sure. I, um, I've, I've been full time with Omron for, for two years, but prior to that, I was 18 months consulting. So mm-hmm. it's almost been four years and I've seen some major changes. And one of the key major changes is probably not what you would expect me to say is words people are using. I think words are very important in creating a culture, creating an environment for people to develop and standardizing words and what they mean. So for example, if I asked 10 different people at Omron, what does lead time mean? (laughs) I'd probably get more than one answer. (laughs) (laughs) So operational definitions is a BPI tool and it's one of the tools I'm most fond of starting out. And so when we started with the BPI efforts, we standardized on expectations and started developing operational definitions. And so one of the very first DMAIC projects that was led by Helen Schrand and her team, they came up with multiple definitions for product registration that people, so when they use the term, it would mean the same thing to everyone on the team. And then they spread that gospel around the rest of the organization. So streamlining process, I can give you example after example, but I I think the application of the tools Mm -hmm. and how we make systems better for people to work in is really the the biggest change I see. And, 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 tool, and words are important. So I'll let Christian speak. He, I can see he's dying to say something. So Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of great projects at Omron already. And, you know, we can, I would say that a lot of them are very internal focused. We are removing waste from the various departments in order to eventually take that time and use it to create value to the customer, mm-hmm. right? Um, for instance, w- uh, one of the make projects that was finished uh, earlier this year was sharing information to drive wins among sales, salesmen, salespeople, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so they created, they gathered a lot of data around what operational definitions are we using, like Mike was talking about, what is needed to, to make a sale, what are the things that the different questions that people are asking, how do they find them? Where are they going? Um, what are the brochures we have? All, the, all those different questions. They gathered all of this knowledge and these um, from these different areas of the organization and compiled them into one place and then communicated that to every one of these, the sales association where to go. If you need this, you go here. And 
they've created a, a dashboard almost where people could, could then go to that one place and then it would lead them to wherever they needed to go, mm -hmm. thus enabling our sales force to go out and sell more effectively because they didn't have to search for that specification or that marketing brochure or whatever it was that um, that they needed at that time. But, but, but like Mike said, ultimately, specific projects aside, I find more and more that the BPI team is being leaned on to be a, a consultant when we're, when we are creating new processes, when we are reorganizing certain departments, I've been a part of two of those already. We want to make sure that as we do this, we can document our new processes. We can lay those out appropriately so that they're done ER squared, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have to go back and BPI it later. Yep. So that's, that's really the best thing that I'm seeing right now is the, the shift from, hey, BPI team, I have a problem, go, go take care of it, to more of a, we need to bring BPI in as we're creating these things so that we can make it right the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was going to be my follow-up question. You know, I think it plays very well into your comments, Christian, of how is this affecting our customers? And I think one level our customers expect, you know, in this day and age with the internet at the palm of your hand is if you ask somebody a question, they need to know and they need to know fast to be able to get them information so they can make their own decisions. So I see that playing but as a, as a good customer outcome that even though it was an internal project, the desired state was improving our customer experience. Right, and, th and think about some of the other words we use. So what that team did that Christian's referring to with that DMAIC project is they created a standard where there wasn't one, and they made it repeatable and reproducible by training everyone, educating everyone. This is the standard we're going to use for this information. This is where it goes. This is how you access it. This is how it gets updated in the future and going forward. So it now has a home, a defined roles and responsibilities, who is to update it, it's a standard everyone knows and communicates and they can tell others. So everyone who comes new into Home Run now knows here's the standard we follow. Here's the expectation. Here's how you update it if something needs to be modified. Define roles and responsibilities. You know, to, to continue on with that comment and where we're going as an organization, how it affects the customer, as we continue to develop our people into lean thinkers, we'll be able to help them identify you know, where the value is actually being created um, in their jobs. Because we do, we do a lot of different things in our individual jobs, but a portion of those things are actually creating value to the customer. Um, so if we can help people understand and remove the, the unnecessary waste, and you're still going to have those other things that you have to do, but to target and really identify what's valuable to the customer, we can help them then make those more efficient right and repeatable and reproducible like mike said but it's it's getting our people to identify and then target those processes that are adding that value so that we can continue to create more value for our customers ultimately no great point great point excellent well, guys, this was a really great uh, episode. I had a blast. Who knew Six Sigma and Lean could be so fun? Um, <laughs> so I really want to thank you guys for our your time. And uh, But wait, it's our turn. It's our turn to quiz you. It's 
our turn to quiz you. <laughs> so we'll see. You guys have been doing this a while, and, and there's a focus on education, so I'm not saying you should get this right, but if you get it wrong, you might <laughs> we'll have to edit, edit it, it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the trivia question I have for you guys, um, as you can imagine, there was a plethora of lean A3 trivia questions that I could find on the Google Monster. Um, <laughs> but what year was Six Sigma uh, created? So it was in the 80s, and it was at Motorola. Motorola won the um, prestigious award, Malcolm Baldrige Quality Award. I think it was 1988 that they won that award, and they still weren't happy with it. They wanted to go further, so they started creating Six Sigma. Michael, Harry, and Bill Smith were the two founders. Specific year, it's questionable because depending which Google one you read, you're going to get different years. Yeah. So I was going to say, Mike, you get the answer right because you had more details. Yes, holy cow. Uh, actually, the one I one, found was 86, 1986. Yeah, I actually have one of the papers written by Michael Harry of, <laughs> uh, from Motorola at that time. That I did some work for Motorola back in the day and was able to get access to that information. So that's the answer nice. I got for you. Now you see why I came. You're yeah. learning at the feet of the master. Yeah. It's like Wayne's World, I'm not worthy. Right? <laughs> There's just so much in there that we need to extract from Mike's head in order to continue to be successful when researching that i was like should i give him multiple choice and i was like nah, i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off we'll, we'll we'll wait but but mike needs no multiple choice he's got it done. does not no um, i'm a nerd i admit it when it comes to, when it comes to bpi I, stuff I'm a, I'm a big nerd i did not know the answer i'll be completely, <laughs> completely honest All right, so christian would have gotten multiple yeah choice. definitely and, gotten that wrong yeah. But honestly, guys, thank you. I feel like these conversations, especially this topic, right from the outside, some people might be like, oh, BPI, you know, it's it's daunting. Right. But it really, you know, in speaking to the development of people, honestly, in my my opinion, it, may, it gets the juices flowing as far as passion and, and interest, because I think it shows you enabling other people to do things that maybe they thought they could not as well. Yeah, it gives them a voice. Mm -hmm. It really gives them a voice. If they want to make change, here's the tools to make the change. Here's how you can have a voice at Omron and make Omron and your area better. It mm -hmm. applies to everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining Kenny and me for the Operation Automation Podcast. If you have topics you would like to hear discussed on future episodes, please send them to our email address, operationautomation at omron.com, with podcast idea in the subject line. Finally, all of the cool things you learn on this podcast can be found on automation.omron.com. Until next time, we put the fun in factory automation. <laughs>